Hello, friends, and welcome to the Carolyn Whitaco Art Podcast, where we talk all things creativity, travel, business, and art. Today, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of living in a travel trailer and how you can do it, too. But first, let's do our little life update. I've started working with Ruth selling her artwork at the Michigan Renaissance Festival again after taking two and a half months off. The time away was great for me so I could spend time catching up with loved ones and working heavily in my own business. I did some local art shows, a few commissions, I launched Elements of Art Style, and of course I put out a few episodes of the podcast. Jumping back into selling for Ruth has been a treat too. I was the sole person setting up for them this festival since her and Alwyn, Alwyn's her husband, were both out sick and of course managing their business affairs around the country remotely, like by phone. Lots of phone calls going on for me lately. Setting up alone was a great experience. Of course, I've set up my own art shows for years, but long-term festivals are so much different and I know I've gotten into this before, but like there are regulations and protocols and you've got to make sure you got a fire extinguisher and paperwork and maintenance and gardening and her setup just requires different tools and design than my own so it felt like a good level up in the challenging factor to do it by myself and that's always a good thing I'm learning every day I've also been a happy girl because my man is in town and has been for the past two weeks which has been refreshing we took a little day trip on the motorcycle to Sleeping Bear Dunes National Lakeshore went to the beach with some friends and went kayaking he came to my family cabin for our annual work week too where we do maintenance and build up our cabin and party just as hard as we work. And it's just nice to have him around and have him home for a bit before his work sends him somewhere new. Um, I think I'll have him about halfway into next month, so that's really nice. I'll get to have him for, I think he's getting like a whole month off, so that's really nice. Um, I also, before we dive into our main topic of the day, I want to remind you that September 30th is the day that I donate to Michigan State Parks each year, and I use the proceeds from Michigan Parks and Places, the art series, so if you'd like to participate in keeping Michigan clean and beautiful and nature-filled, think about getting a print. If you want to learn more about Michigan Parks and Places, you can listen to the previous episode of the podcast or go to acupofcloudy.com and read the blog post I wrote all about it. Plus, the artwork is some of my absolute favorite, and 20% of what you pay goes straight to the park. So go check it out. I promise you will not be disappointed. Okay, today we are going to talk about living in an RV. I've been living in a travel trailer for a little over a year now. If you're not sure about the difference, an RV is technically a vehicle with house amenities in it. Think of like a giant bus with a bed and a kitchenette, etc. A travel trailer technically is the same, but it has no motor, cannot be driven, um, it's not like a vehicle, and you need a truck to tow it. So that is what we are in as a travel trailer, and depending on the size and style, they have varying amenities. So my travel trailer has a bed, a couch, a table, a fridge, sink, bathroom, shower, extra bunk beds, and air conditioning. Um, it's pretty luxurious as far as travel trailer travel trailers go. Some of them are essentially like a bed in a box, you know? So when someone says they live in an RV or a trailer, it can mean a lot of different things. I'm going to use travel trailer and RV interchangeably in this episode. Um, a lot of this info will also apply to living in a bus or a van as well. So the point of living this way in a travel trailer is really just to gain a certain type of freedom. More freedom with your finances since it costs less and less cost means you either have more money to spend elsewhere or you have more 
time because you have to work less because your bills are less. It gives you freedom of movement as well. I can just as easily live in Florida as I can in Nevada. I'm only a day's drive away. It gives you freedom from your possessions. You don't realize how tied down you are by all the shit that you own and your attachment to it until you sell it all. Living in a tiny home makes it so you have no space to rebuy it all either, and it just feels like a weight lifted. The downsides are that the space is tiny, and this is obviously a plus and a minus. The only reason I dislike the smallness is, number one, no room for studio equipment like a printer or a large frame storage, and two, no room to throw parties, so I can't have a lot of house parties or guests over. Um, we've got the extra sleeping spaces, but it's just not a chill environment to have like 45 people over like the good old days of having a house. Of course, there are ups and downs of any living situation. Our priority right now is cost and time freedom. So obviously an RV is the way to go. Now, I want to get into the specifics of the types of living situations you experience while traveling. There's mooch docking, wally docking, boondocking, and full or partial hookup. The first way we ever lived was mooch docking. This means you hook your camper up to your friend's house and live in their yard. So we plugged our electrical cord into their house, connected our water hose into their house, dumped our gray water into their rain ditch, and dumped our black water at a nearby campground for a fee. We paid them monthly to stay there, and it made sense for us since Joey and our friend were working together at the time, so um, it was really nice to be like living on the same property. That summer, we really learned a lot about our camper since it was our very first summer um, and our very first living situation. We also mooch docked when we first arrived in Arizona as well. So we spent New Year's this year staying at good old Steve's house. <laughs> what a character. Um, we arrived in Arizona all the campgrounds were either booked or 55 and up. So I know the Southwest is very much a home for retirees, um, fucking snowbirds, am I right? So it was all booked or 55 and up only. So obviously we did not qualify to stay in the old folks camperville. So Joey posted in a Facebook group and someone actually reached out and the next day we were towing the trailer to meet our new friend and get a place to stay for a few weeks while we figured out where we could stay more permanently. So Steve lived in a beautiful desert neighborhood and gave us a quick water and power hookup for free, hence quote-unquote mooch docking. Shout out to One-Eye and Steve for really doing us a solid, such weird and good-hearted folks. So of course when you arrive in a new state and have no idea where you're supposed to sleep, you can sleep at a truck stop, a cell phone lot, or park at a Walmart for the night, which is known as Wally docking. This is cool because you can wake up, run in to get some snacks, use the bathroom, wash your face in the sink, which is awkward, but when you've been on the road for two days straight, you do what you gotta do, and it's very convenient. When you sleep in a truck station um, on the side of the road, you don't get any of these luxuries. You just wake up and start driving again. Wally docking sucks, though, because people are driving around, walking past your camper, the lights are banging in the parking lot through your windows, and you just can't stay more than a night or two without overstaying your welcome. So, Wally docking is nice. I'm happy that it is available, but it's just really, it's not the best. And then you have boondocking. So, boondocking essentially means you have no hookup and are quote-unquote rustic. We boondocked for the first six months of this year straight. For a few months, we stayed in the Superstition Mountains. Absolutely fucking beautiful. I mean, seriously, if you've never been there, go on my social media and just look at the pictures I posted of the Superstition Mountains and the hikes we did. Incredible. 
There were other campers there, which was kind of nice, and it was fairly close by to shops and houses, but it was part of, like, this vast public desert land in Arizona, complete with giant cacti, mountains, caves, coyotes, horses, and cows. We used a generator for essential electricity, like the refrigerator, and we had a small solar panel that works for a limited amount of time, but really isn't as great as we thought it would be. We had battery-powered lanterns, and otherwise you just woke up at dawn and quit working at dusk because it gets dark and we did not have a hookup. As for water, we actually have never used our freshwater tank, which is exactly when you're supposed to use it, is boondocking um, for your running water, but we just ended up buying jugs of water for doing the dishes and washing our hands. Joey got a gig in Arizona, and he refilled our water jugs for free there. As for showering, we went and got a Planet Fitness membership, which was really nice, because then we ended up working out a bit, too, because we were already there anyways, so that was a huge benefit. When I went to Texas and boondocked, it was at a campground, so they actually had public community showers and a wastewater truck that would come around, and you could pay them to suck out your gray and black water, which, side note, if you don't know... Um, this is all the water and waste that goes down your drains. So in a house, you just give no thought to it because you just flush and never have to see it again. But it goes somewhere. In a traveling home, it goes into tanks and then you have to properly dispose and empty those tanks. You can't just let it spill out into the ground everywhere. <laughs> so there are guidelines for that. Um, and because of this, it's often easier and more enjoyable to use public showers rather than the shower in the camper because it really does use a lot of water. That's another side note about living in a camper. You actually realize how much things, um, how much water you consume because even just doing the dishes, I mean, man, my tank fills up so fast. And when you're in a home, you don't think twice about leaving the water running when you're brushing your teeth, but in a camper, that's like the greatest sin, you know? So full hookup is what we're doing now. And it means that you park your RV in a campground and hook up to water, electric, and sewer. It gives you the full-on American standard of living experience. Some campgrounds charge a base fee and then meter your electric. Right now, we're at the most beautiful, spacious, clean, brand new, inexpensive, flat monthly fee charging, dog allowing, no rules, nice neighbors, amazing fucking old-fashioned campground ever. 10 out of 10. I mean, the owner is the type of guy who built the campground as a retirement project for fun and just, like, works on it all day. He chews on a fat cigar and you know it's time to pay your fee when he comes and takes an envelope to your front door. Very cute and personal old businessman. So, full hookup is the most comfortable, obviously, and even with it, there are still public showers and a dumpster for your trash. Partial hookup is like what we did in New Mexico at the state park of Cochiti Lake, which was native land and surrounded by reservations, which was an experience to see from a distance, most of them, since we were not allowed to enter. But the hookup at Cochiti Lake was water and electric only. And then they had a dumping station, which you could take your wastewater over to and dump it. So it was like um, a single septic tank situation that the whole park used and shared. And a lot of campgrounds do it this way, too. So, to recap, we have mooch docking, which is staying at your friend's house. We have wally docking, which is staying at a Walmart. <laughs> we have boondocking, which is rustic, no hookups, no water, no electric, but that's where you get the most beautiful views. And then you have full hookup, which is full water, electric, sewer, and partial, which means that you get some of those, and it depends on which ones they allow you to have. 
So along with ever-changing scenery, you also get ever-changing amenities. Most people see this as a sacrifice, especially in a first world country where we're so spoiled by air conditioning and constant refrigeration and clear drinking water, but I saw it as a new experience and an eye-opener. Until you have to walk down the road to a community spigot to fill jugs of water and carry them back home every single day to your house that doesn't have electricity, you'll never get what I mean. I cherished every bit of it and I'll never take a hot shower for granted for the rest of my life. Besides, even if you see it as a sacrifice, the freedom and experience you gain otherwise is overpowering. I collected rocks on the Rio Grande, hiked to caves and up mountains, I met business owners in southern New Mexico, had a Nigerian home-cooked meal for the first time, made friends with a one-eyed old biker dude and a man who used to have a real lion as a pet in his home. Okay, I saw the different ways people in America live, from shacks to mansions. I rode horses in Tennessee and I felt the wind blowing my hair in Oklahoma. I sold artwork online and shows across the states, kept a tan 365 days out of the year, and I learned the real state of our country through talking with all walks of life, races, ages, grandmas, kids, nomads, fifth generation small town families, and more. There's just so much to see and so many people to meet. I wouldn't trade that for anything. And I'm in my home state now, two hours from my hometown, but I definitely plan to travel again come winter. More on that in a later life update though. Okay, so now that we have covered types of living and amenities, let's talk about cost. It's so funny to me when I tell people I travel full-time as an artist because they're always like, oh my god, I wish I could do that. You're so lucky, blah, blah, blah. It's hilarious because their current lifestyle costs way more than my current lifestyle. Truly, they can do it. They just don't want to for X, Y, or Z reason. Either they don't want to change jobs, they don't want to live tiny, or just don't want to move their kids into an online school or homeschool. They just don't want to. Cost is not something stopping you from living this lifestyle. In fact, it's usually a motivator. So real talk, let's not be vague here. I got a brand new travel trailer in 2021. It was $28,000. We put $2,000 down and we pay about $260 a month toward owning it. We pay $90 in insurance for the RV and a truck. We own our truck. And then our lot rent ranges anywhere from $0 to $900 a month, depending on which amenities and location we choose to have. So when we're boondocking, it's literally free. And when you have full hookup, it can get more expensive. Rent prices and housing prices have skyrocketed and so have campgrounds, honestly. The demand in camping is heavy like it is in housing, but it's still relatively less costly. The upfront cost is heavier, just like buying a house, I guess. You gotta buy accessories like hoses and hitches, but after that, it's just what I stated and then gas money for wherever you decide to travel. And we got a brand new 30-foot camper. Honestly, overkill. It felt small at the time, but we do not need all 32 feet, and if you buy it used, it's way cheaper too. Next, I want to discuss quickly the different types of campgrounds. I never went camping as a kid because my family has a cabin in the middle of the forest up north and we never owned an RV or tents or anything like that so I had no idea what to expect at a campground. Truth is it's a lot less outdoorsy than people make it sound and the vibe is different at a lot of them. The first type is the most quote-unquote outdoorsy and that's a state park. 
Usually vacationers stay there. The limit for reservations is like two weeks and people might barbecue out on the grill or stay up late on Saturdays. People come there with a purpose, usually for a quiet week away from home to go fishing, hiking, canoeing. On the weekends, it's busy and during the week, it's quiet. Sites are usually well spaced out for privacy and we stayed at a beautiful state park on a little peninsula in Texas. On, I think it was called Bardwell Lake and we almost got a free stay there for the spring, but that's a story for another day. It was beautiful there. The next type of campgrounds is the retirement type. In New Mexico, we stayed in a little town called Elephant Butte. The campground we found there was filled with old people who had lived there for like 15 years, okay? So, I felt like a rowdy teenager moving into wreck havoc on their peaceful neighborhood. (laughs) They had a community building with a kitchen. They played cards every Friday night. There was a mail room, a shared patio, laundry on site, a little general store. The whole works, really. They even had propane delivery at Wednesdays and group outings you could sign up for, like a nursing home, but for cool grandmas. It was really cool, except some of the neighbors obviously felt some type of way about new young folks, and we had to lie and say our pit bull was some other type of dog. Then there's the hidden gem type of campground. The hidden gem type are spots that are not on any apps, no websites, or online at all. You only find them by driving by. They're usually simple, maybe have a store, and they're in a place that you least expect it, but you're thankful that they exist. Hidden gems can be found on farms, roadsides, on someone's spare three acres that they wanted to make a quick buck from, and I just love them. They can be really cool. Then you've got the resorts. These have pools, jacuzzis, beaches, playgrounds. You can rent a boat, live bands on the weekends, full hookup, lots of rules every time. Just big on the rules. Big general stores, walking trails, the works. These can be cool, but they're just doing the most. And honestly, we like never really stay at them. I don't think we've ever stayed at one. Honestly, it's just not the vibe for us. Truly, it could go on forever, but just know that every place you stay will have a different vibe and you'll have to test them all out to see which one you like best. The campground I'm at now is my favorite so far and half the people staying here right now are actually bridge construction workers in the area from Wisconsin and they all know each other and they all leave for work and the campground gets real peaceful like Monday through Friday 9 to 5. Um, And I know that that's really unique and really strange. So it's just like it depends on the people who stay there, how the manager is, like the rules. Every single park is different. So if you don't like a campground, just know that the next place will be completely different. So you've got to try around. Living in an RV has been one of the biggest adventures of my lifetime. It's totally mixed it up for me. And sometimes you need to throw a little spice into your life. You know what I'm saying? So it's allowed me to travel, to see more clearly what's important to me, especially when it comes to possessions. And it's allowed me to have experiences I would have never had otherwise. I definitely plan to travel even lighter in the near future. I just don't ever want to stop traveling. I do plan to have a house someday, but I think living in such a small space has really changed my goals for what I want in a house. I don't want it to be super large and in charge. I love having a smaller space. I love being mobile. I love having low expenses. I love meeting new people all the time. I've made some really interesting friends that are not in my age group and, you know, not from where I'm from who have never even been to the Midwest. So it's just, it's provided me with such good experiences and I wouldn't change anything. So 
that's it for now on living in a travel trailer. I hope that this has been somewhat insightful. I hope that if you were ever interested in tiny living that this has opened your eyes a little bit. Um, and if you ever were curious about my day-to-day, -day, about the travel aspect of my traveling art business that I have going on over here, um, I just hope that this has helped you see what I got going on. And if maybe you are interested in living the same lifestyle, maybe this makes you even more interested in it or less interested. So I just wanted to give a little insight on it. I know people are curious. So if you have any more questions on this topic or any topic for a podcast, let me know. You can DM me on Instagram at Carolyn Whitaker. All my social handles are Carolyn Whitaker, or you can go to acupofcloudy.com and sign up for emails there as well. So that's it for now. I hope to see you on the next episode of the Carolyn Whitaker Art Podcast and tell your friends about us so we can grow and get a better sense of community around the podcast. All right, I will talk to you next time. Bye.